This is a podcast from Minute Media. Sox fans, here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Welcome everyone, the Bastards are back for this Thursday edition of the podcast. We are brought to you in part by the Minute Media Podcast Network. The Red Sox just wrapped up a three-game set against the Detroit Tigers Winning it three games to nothing. It is probably, what, their third or fourth sweep of the year. They continue to be hot. And they are now in third place in the American League East. Just half a game out uh, from Toronto uh, in the first wildcard slot. So climbing every series. Quick disclaimer, as always, for any first-time listeners, this is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When they are getting destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, press the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, let's get rolling. I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina by way of of Wyndham, Maine. You can find me on Twitter at CushmanMLB. You can find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Joining me tonight from the city of Canton, Massachusetts, Jason Kelly. Feeling good. Another sweep in the books and the Red Sox are back on a 90 win pace at the very least. So at least one of my preseason predictions is still alive, still has some legs. They can still get to 94 wins. It's going to take some doing, but they can still get there. So I'm hopeful. I got to have at least one of those predictions come through. Cleveland will be a good primer this weekend for that brutal two weeks of July that we're about to face. And um, so we'll we'll see. But... Uh, yeah, it's uh what eight games above five hundred. Yeah, after being nine down, so that's what a seventeen game swing. Just absolutely insane. I thought we were dead and buried, but uh, also joining us tonight from the mile high city of Denver by way of Quincy, Massachusetts, Andrew Duan. What's going on? Hard not to be uh, riding high after that sweep. I mean. They took care of business. Usually there's a trap game in there, but they didn't falter. They just kind of just powered right through. How much would AJ Hinch give to go back to Houston? God, he probably hates all those former players now. Yeah, he's got to be just miserable at this point. I, I don't even know how he gets up for these games anymore. I mean, he, on top of the world to being literally in baseball hell. Yeah. And uh, Charlie was a little bit pessimistic. You know, we had a lot of young pitchers who typically give us fits. And um, But this 
2022 Red Sox team doesn't seem to have that same um, that downfall against those younger pitchers. It just seems like we're finding ways to win uh, regardless. So, yeah. All right. Before we get going, I just we're off to a late start tonight. It's uh, 1229 a.m. officially Thursday morning. Typically, we would record around 10 a.m. I made the biggest dumbass move of my professional career today. I drive a truck locally, and that's what I've done for quite a while now. What color gas pump handle are diesels? Typically? You didn't. You. F- oh no. <laughs> what color are those pump handles? Either typically? green or blue. Usually green. <laughs> yeah. Usually green. I pulled into Ooh. a BP gas station, which is big down here. I, I don't recall ever seeing one in New England, but in the South, there's a lot of those. Pulled into the gas station, green pump. It wasn't until my tank was all the way full, I, I looked at the fuel. I'm like, this is way too clear. Diesel would would have kind of a green tint to it. And, uh, it, you know, it's thicker. You know, this looked like water, essentially. You know, that's you know what regular and i thought oh no look what i just did and i was in my furthest out point i was down in savannah georgia that's four hours from myrtle beach because you either got to deal with all the traffic up 17 or you you loop way out on 95 it's not a straight shot so um i was literally at that gas station I went I went through a couple of different numbers and they just couldn't get to me quick enough. And then I found this redneck guy who was I it turned out he was like an hour and a half away, but he was willing to come do it. And uh yeah. And uh so I've been getting roasted by my coworkers, you know, the last several hours. And yeah. At but, least you didn't turn it on. We uh... I didn't. I didn't. And uh, but the fact that I was observant of what the fuel looked <laughs> like was what saved me. <laughs> We had one guy in one of our food trucks that did that, and he like tried to turn it on. Oh. And this is when I was managing one of the companies. Luckily, it wasn't my truck. And he's like, "So I was at the guest, and I knew immediately. I was like, what the? He's like, yeah.' And they it, like it wouldn't drive after like twenty feet. I was like, yeah, we didn't get that thing back for like two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you got it done today. See, luckily on the the big freightliner that i drive you can drain it just underneath the Mm. tank like there's nothing really to it the thing that screwed us up was they misjudged the size they thought it was a 40 gallon and it was a 50 gallon so they had to get 10 more gallons out of it and they had to run to walmart which was like 30 minutes away to do it (laughs) it was a mess it was such a mess and some of it was spilling and there there was like this massive puddle on the other side of the truck because that's how it all ran down i'm like oh my god people are gonna be uh so but they got it they got it squared away and uh surprisingly it wasn't that expensive i thought it was gonna be over a grand and apparently it was like just under 700 675 i think so officially my dumb and it in like Northwestern Maine, which is where I used to haul a lot of mail, I would be in blizzard conditions going through kind of, I don't know if I want to call them mountainous areas, but very kind of rugged terrain. Sometimes my tires wouldn't be great. 
and it would just be kind of sketchy and I always got the truck back, you know, <laughs> uh, but today, yeah, needed all kinds of help. So anyway, that's why if I'm off my game, I, I'm probably still rattled from that and I don't have my normal notes because I literally jumped on the podcast right away. So uh, sweep by the Red Sox first game. Red Sox win it five to two. That was with uh, Josh Winkowski. The Red Sox somehow survived Rich Hill in game two. Uh, that was five to four. Uh, Hill had a seven-something ERA at home coming into the game. And then finally tonight with Michael Walker, six to two. Red Sox sweep them. And uh, things are about to get real. We will talk about Cleveland uh, in the closing segment, but we'll, as always on the midweek show, get into studs and duds. Uh, Jason, we'll lead you off. Who, who's your stud for the series? I'm going with Jaron Duran. Um, I was really impressed with him this series. And look, he, you know, did he blow us away? No, but he got on base a couple of times using his speed. Um, he made Javi Bias's life a, a living hell this series with a couple of grounders to short that should have been routine plays, but Baez had to rush his throws because Duran just flies down that line and really stresses out infielders every time he hits a ball on the ground. So that kind of speed is a difference maker. And is it going to you know, guarantee he has a full-time MLB career? Not necessarily. Um you know, there, there are guys who can do that. Ichiro did it, but Ichiro was a really, really good hitter. We don't know that Jaron Duran can hit the way Ichiro did or play defense for that matter, but his speed is real. And that's one thing that you can't teach. You can't develop. A guy just has it. So the fact that he's got, you know, plus speed is, is such a benefit. I mean, you know, even something as simple as if he's on first base and there's a grounder through the right side, he can go first to third. And all of a sudden, you've got runners on the corners. And with this offense, that can be a real catalyst. So I liked seeing him out of the leadoff spot. Um, you know, again, in terms of plate discipline and and all that, is he a future leadoff guy? We'll see. You know, it, he, he's been tearing it up down in Worcester. But this is the big leagues now. And obviously, pitchers are going to do everything they can to get him to swing and miss. They're not going to let him hit the ball on the ground and try to beat them with his speed. So... Um, but you know, end of the day, I liked what I saw. I, I still think that he should stay up here and he should get regular at bats because at this point he's 25, he's proven that he can do it in triple a. So why send him back down there just to rake again, when you can have him up here making a difference every day in your lineup, like he did in this series. So I'm all, I'm all on the Jaron Duran train, um, keep him up, find a way to get him in that lineup every day. And he could be a difference maker for sure. Yeah. And the one big thing he really did uh, well this series was he saw a lot of pitches. He wasn't just swinging at the first one. Um, he was showing bunt occasionally. Uh, I think he attempted a drag bunt. Um, and just having, you know, a guy that's going to go up there is not going to pop out on the first pitch of the game. And, you know, you, you got to make these guys work. That's kind of the key to all of this. And, he, he should have had, I consider tonight a two-hit game. That one in the first inning with bias, he forced him to rush it completely. So th this was a, you know, a two-two-hit game series for him. And he's not trying to pull everything. He's not trying to launch everything in the air. Just making contact has been absolutely huge for him. He had slapped down the left field line. Um, 
later on in the game. Uh, I think that brought brought in a couple runs as well. Yeah, um, well, you know, we know for sure he'll be playing the next three games. After that, gets a little bit murky. Um, but uh, yeah, well, Cora even said he hasn't had a guy like this on uh, managing in a long time. So who who knows? It could be the spark plug we need. The murkiness is due to the fact that he is not vaccinated, which I want to say I knew previously, but Cora came out with it today. And Yeah, he was ruled out with a close contact earlier this year in Worcester, so that was kind of the dead giveaway. Okay. It was just the unknown secret, or the well-known secret. Tanner Houck, while we're at it, uh, will not be on the Toronto trip either, still not vaccinated. But super small sample size. I'm, I'm going to kind of treat Jaron Duran how I've been treating Franchi Cordero, who's actually been waking up lately. Um, a 297 batting average with a 366 OBP for Duran looks very good in the short sample size. Three of his eight hits have been doubles. So he's kind of taking the ilk of, of guys like Kike. Uh, and Xander, uh, in a way. And like Jason was saying, there is nobody on our team right now, like Jaron Duran, who can steal a base when he feels like it and can go an extra 90 feet, uh, you know, compared to anyone else, whether it's first, to third, first to home, there's nobody like him uh you know that's real close right now and the intriguing thing to me is is he still trade bait does heim bloom value him a lot more than jackie bradley right now as we're looking towards the playoff run like i'm not convinced that the red sox see him as a long-term guy and they could be looking to cash in because his stock is up right now i think we can all agree on that yeah the the issue with that is he's more tradable than a jackie bradley because jackie bradley's got that stupid contract attached to him and everyone knows what jackie is at this point he's a late inning defensive replacement um he doesn't have Duran's speed he's doesn't have any power anymore um, Duran is younger and is going to be under team control for a couple of years. So for that reason, he's more tradable. I, I mean, could he be trade bait? Yes, but it would, that would have to be one of those things where the Red Sox are making a big splash at the deadline. And Duran is like the second or third piece in the deal. He's a, to me, he's not like a centerpiece trade bait. He's you know, like I said, like the number two or number three piece in a larger deal, maybe in like a, you know, multi-team deal, something like that. Um, but I would like to think if the Red Sox really have turned this around and they are contending that core will find a way to get him in the lineup and they'll find a ma- way to make it work with the roster and they won't trade him. I don't know what they would even get. That would even help out more than, you know, the his loss would counteract. Uh, it would be, pitching um i think at this point we can safely say that halk is probably the closer i don't think they need to go out and blow their load on a david bednar or something like that where you know you're gonna be giving up a couple of good prospects uh top tier prospects um 
it's probably not going to be a starter that would make Duran be the second piece because at that point, you know, you're competing with the Yankees, you're complete, competing with, you know, who, who, whoever else wants uh, Luis Castillo or Frankie Montes. I, I don't think that they want to trade uh, Duran, at least during the regular season. I think it just opens up way too big of a hole in the outfield. We saw what happened once Kike went down. We'll see it. Um, you know, this coming series of Toronto, we're going to see how thinly stretched they are when, you know, they already have their two backup outfielders up in the minor league or from the minor leagues and won't be eligible. There's just no depth there from previous regimes. We know we didn't draft or develop anyone in the outfield. So yeah, I just don't see a way that they can send out Duran unless, you know, there's another move where they get a well-established outfielder as well as a different trade. But at that point, you know, you're just making so many different moves where I don't think it makes any sense whatsoever. It's just too complicated. Well, I kind of like a more controllable outfielder, you know, a more veteran one. I think that's a need. Um, I don't know if they're really going to look at first base. I, I don't think Duran would be traded for a rental, uh, so to speak. And I, I think Jason's kind of basically on the money. He'd be the second or third guy in the deal, but I do would expect it to be a splashy trade um if it happened but i just i i think bloom would just want to cash in he he would just find a way to to fill another need i guess i'm not particularly worried about the bullpen i'm not even that worried about the rotation my biggest fear in the rotation is alex core is going to think chris sales a number one and we're gonna cough up some games you know and I, you know, so I, it's just one thing to think of. I mean, Jackie has one more year on his deal. Like, is there any reason to believe we're going to exercise the $8 million buyout? I mean, I, he's guaranteed to be here next year. No, they have, I, I I could easily see them just cutting ties because at that point, the, the rosters, the 40 man spot would be more valuable than that eight million. I mean, they have plenty of money coming off the books, anyways. We always they, think that, and then I don't know, but I I don't know. I guess we'll see. But I'm having a lot of fun watching Duran, and and I'd I'd like to see a, a little bit more power if need be. But if if he ends up being a doubles machine and and just hell on the base pass, then that's good for me. Like Jason said, he can he can get a team off balance really fast just with his presence on first base. So good series for Duran. Andrew, who's your stud? I went with the Red Sox second signing of the offseason, and that was Rob Ref Snyder. Um, he was a minor league signing, cost literally nothing. He didn't, you know didn't take up a spot on the 40 and all of a sudden he's one of your most important players as they deal with some uh, digs and dents with their major league roster. Um, He's been a steady presence in that lineup. His defense has been pretty above average at this point. He's already a half win player. Uh, I don't think anyone saw that in, especially the limited, you know, uh, appearances he's seen so far this year Uh, today. He had a double, he had a home run. Um, 
he's been great. Uh, whatever they get from him, you know, from this point on is gravy. You know, he's making the major league minimum. He's doing exactly what you need your backup outfielder to do. And uh, actually, he's probably going above and beyond that. And for that, I, you know, he's my stud. I'm seeing from Ref Snyder as well. And he's been such a great find. And it, it reminds you a little bit like when they first found Arauz, who's just a Rule 5 guy, and they just took him and Obviously, Rule 5, they have to stay on the roster, but he proved to be very valuable because he was a good backup utility infielder, had some good at-bats early on. Obviously, that kind of faded. The one thing I like about Ref Snyder is that he's a veteran. He's been around. He's He's been on some really good Yankees teams, and he's you know been a part of some big games for them. So if the Red Sox really do push this and they're you know heading into some really important games in August and September – um, Ref Snyder's not going to shy away from that moment when when he gets the call to be in the lineup or to, to pinch it or whatever. Um, I feel like younger guys like Arauz would have shied away from that moment, would have been too much for them. But Ref Snyder's been there. He's been around. He knows what his role is. Um, he knows what he has to do. And he always gives you just professional at-bats. He's solid defensively. So like Andrew said, he's exactly what you would want out of a backup outfielder. And I think he's performing even above that. So, you know, great find for the Red Sox. He, he's been really good and, you know, just keep it going for as long as you can, because this guy's found money at the moment. So, you know, choose that orange as much as you can for the rest of the year. I haven't, I mean, he, he has been good. And eventually I just kind of feel like, I mean, he might not be with us in August if he has a, a bad stretch. He could get – I don't know if he'd be optioned or outrighted or how that would work, but but Alex Cora is riding the hot hand right now. And when you go back, you look back to that 2013 team, the, the depth guys you had off the bench, Johnny Gomes, Daniel Nava, we were just so deep, and – you need guys like Ref Snyder to have a big night here and there because, as we've said throughout the season, Bogarts and Devers and Martinez aren't going aren't gonna to carry everyone. And so it's nice to see, and I, I think Ref Snyder is, is probably the best defender in the outfield of anyone off the bench. We've seen him make, you know, some highlight real plays out there. I think Christian Arroyo is, has gotten better. The one thing we didn't talk about with Duran actually a minute ago is he's so nervous out there and he's having trouble reading the ball. It's almost like he's doing a little bit of a dance as, as the ball comes off the bat before he makes up his mind, which, which route he's going to go. And I think it was in game two, that was a close game. And it, it was a one or two run game at that point. And I think he was playing center and, and um, he, he had a ball deep uh, out by the warning track and he, you know, he made the play, but it was just, it was, I was pretty nervous watching it. So Ref Snyder, on the other hand, solid glove, and I hope he keeps it up because I want this bench to be as as deep as it can be. So yeah, oh, the other thing, the other thing, quickly about Turan is like, boy, you realize that his arm does suck. He, he really, he really can't throw. So like, that's the that's you know the trade off, right? You talk about someone like Ref Snyder who 
has a good arm, does have a good glove. I think he's a little bit more sure of himself in the outfield. And then you've got Duran, who, like you said, it's like he's on his tippy toes whenever the ball's hitting the air and he's like trying to figure out where to go. So that's one thing that between those two might be tough to decide between if, you know, if the Red Sox can cram for roster spots. I think Ref Snyder is much more sure of himself defensively. He absolutely seems it. So I'm sure he'll uh, he'll find ways in the lineup, especially with uh, Toronto coming up. Um, you know, Duran won't be out there. And um, yeah, so. All right. My stud this week uh, was my dud last week. I'm going with Trevor Story. The dude has kind of woken up. He's basically in the last week. I mean, he's the top performer on the Red Sox, I guess, aside from maybe Bogarts, who quietly has uh, nine hits. But, um, you know, hitting for power, the three-run shot in game two really kind of put the Red Sox in the in the catbird seat for that game we were down uh two to one and um really really just didn't didn't have a lot of momentum and then you know in in the fourth inning there um story hit a blast drove in Bogarts and Verdugo and that's a guy I mean he's been streaky and he's getting hot again and Hopefully he can carry that into the next couple series here, but but key game. We we probably don't get a sweep if it were, if it wasn't for for that home run, uh, you know, in game two. And he had a hit in every game. He's just had a very good week. So story is uh, my stud for the series. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, that sequence, not only the home run in game two, I think this sequence was also game two where he made an incredible leaping catch on a line drive that I'm still not even sure how he got to it. It, it just felt like that was headed for the gap, and he just snagged it. And then that ended the inning, first batter up the next inning is Christian Vasquez, he hits a bomb. You know, it just it, defensive plays like that can sort of give a boost to to the entire dugout and, you know, just makes everyone – feel even better, morale gets higher, and then boom, you know, here comes a good offensive play. So story's been great. Um, you know, I think offensively you will go through some peaks and valleys with him. I think that's just the kind of hitter he is. Um, so you're, you're going to have to just live with that, which in Boston is is tough, especially for the media, but that's just the way it is. But defensively, I mean, the guy looks like he's played second base his entire career. This does not look like someone who is just starting out at, at second base, you know, for the first time, full time anyway. Um, he kind of looks like Pedroia out there. I mean, it's ridiculous. He's like a taller Pedroia, the way that he can range, the way that he can step and throw and all of that. So defensively, he's been great. He's still using his speed, stealing bases, which, like we said earlier, apart from Duran, you don't have anyone else on that on this team that can do that. That's not an element that they had on this team last year. So that's great to see, too. And the power is real. We all know the power is real. So you can kind of go through some slumps with him, and that might be frustrating. But when Trevor Story's on, he is nasty. Defense will never slump. And, you know, I don't care about the streets at this point at the plate. I haven't seen this many balls gone to, like, behind second base 
and I can't tell you how long. Um, these are all plays that Xander wouldn't make from the shortstop position. And now he's got a partner that's just completely helping him out here. And, you know, this infield defense, Eddie Rodriguez wouldn't have left if he had this. Like, he would still be in Boston. This defense is amazing. Obviously, Devers has improved on the left side. But the double play combination of Xander and Trevor has been just remarkable. And I swear, you know, there were questions about his arm. People are freaking out about it. It's like, you know, he didn't practice. He didn't have a spring training. He had a kid. He got sick. You know, like it, it took him some time just to adapt to a completely new set of circumstances. His arm looks as good as any arm in the league at this point. He's making these throws just on a line that shouldn't be made. And you know, I'm really hoping he's falling in love with the position. Um, that would be a great development if, you know, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here, but if they were able to renegotiate with Xander and keep story at second for the time being, I think they, they have good symmetry and I don't want to see that get messed with. And like Jason said also about the speed, I mean, he still his ninth bag of the year tonight. He's going to steal 25 maybe even close to 30 bags this year. And if you have Durant at the top and, you know, story halfway down the lineup, that those are elements that I don't know the last time we had it. You think Xander ever looks over at some of those plays and is like, yeah, I'm just not that good. <laughs> <laughs> they seem like they have a great relationship, I just like so. with all the camera shots. And I, I think it's working out well for both parties. Uh, honestly, I, th I think they're working off each other very well yeah and you know you look at second base and jason mentions pedroia who for the better part of i don't know eight or nine years was at that position you really haven't had anybody else i mean in 2004 you had mark bellhorn at second and it just it just hasn't historically been a, a position where the red sox have produced you know great players consistently and and story albeit was a was a free agent anyway and Pedroia was homegrown but but it, it's just it's just rare that the Red Sox get a guy in that position and it'll be interesting over the life of story's contract to see how he he does kind of line up versus Pedroia yeah I mean good point you know it's Pedroia it's Bobby Dortz uh Jerry Remy I mean there are your, you know, Mount, there's your Mount Rushmore second baseman for the Red Sox. And, I mean, if Story continues like this for the duration of his contract, if he stays at second, who knows? He might be the second best, um, second or third best in Red Sox history. Yeah. Um, another key moment in the series, uh, Christian Vasquez, uh, in game two, uh, hit what ended up being an important, uh, insurance run. So he's continuing to, to have a good, you know, last five or six weeks and, um, you know, helping, helping the team win in a lot of ways, uh, starting pitching outside of, uh, Rich Hill, who really wasn't that bad anyway, but I mean, starting pitching continues to to be nails for the Red Sox. Josh Winkowski, um, 
in the uh, first game, went six and two thirds and uh, almost got out of the seventh inning, but gave up. He did give up seven hits, but uh, only two earned runs, walked one, struck out two. I think we would like to see the strikeout numbers come up a little bit, but uh, good, uh, good outing from him. And then today uh, in the finale, I uh, I had to listen to the game for the most part, but Michael Waka, uh, pretty stout, uh, six innings pitched, five hits, walked two, and uh, struck out seven. The strikeouts are ticking up with him. But... Yeah, one thing that I like from Waka is that okay, he's fastball changeup, which you know they they were talking about it today. He's essentially become a two pitch pitcher, but. They're both really plus pitches, especially now that fastball is creeping up at 95, 96. You know, I think last year it was still down at like 93. It was just kind of an average fastball. So hitters would just sit on that and then not fall for his changeup. This year, he's like dotting the corner with his fastball. He's, you know, he's throwing the changeup out of the zone. So guys are just chasing it. So he's not getting himself in trouble. So he's pitching smart. Um, and, you know, he's been around long enough that he can do that. And he knows he trusts his stuff. He knows it well enough that he can get away with it. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how Waka does, like, as we head into the later months of the season. And teams have seen him before, you know, at least once or twice. You know, do they just not fall for the fastball anymore? Do they, you know, like, do they smarten up against him? That part I'm really curious to see. Yeah, you know, he didn't have his best stuff tonight, but he still got it out for six. The strikeout numbers were there. Obviously, there is the Detroit factor, but to see him battle and not just fizzle out after four innings, give up a couple bombs, it was really good to see that he did push through that entire performance. And, you know, he got out of some jams, which were, you know, it was pretty good. He had a huge strikeout when it was first and third and got out of the inning clean, and it really didn't look like he would. Sawamora uh, finishes the game tonight. That was a four-run game, so I don't think that's technically a safe situation. But no, he got it. I think. Oh, yeah, really? He faced he faced six batters, so oh. tying run would have uh, scored. Gotcha. Okay, my bad. Um, it, it's almost like they're they're practicing for Toronto by not using Hauk in a way. I uh, I I didn't know he was unavailable last night because I was kind of looking at the. Um, you know how the game was going and Hill, you know, didn't go deep. And I'm thinking, man, you might need Hauk for two innings. And uh, it turned out he wasn't available. And I, I think he only pitched like a third of an inning in two of his last three, something like that. So I was a little caught off guard by that. But, um, but yeah, so he wasn't in there. I'm sure he will, uh, you know, see some time against Cleveland, though. Um, yeah, Diekman looked okay. Still walked one. He's, I think he's always going to put guys on that way, but, but yeah. All right. So let's get over to the duds side. Jason dud for the series. My dud is Jackie Bradley jr. Um, like I gave praise to Jaron Duran earlier, who was my stud. That's an outfielder I want to see more of. Jackie Bradley is an outfielder I want to see less of. Um, 0 for 7 in the series. Again, just – and, you know, it was really great timing because Alex Spear, before the series started, did this whole article about Jackie Bradley and how 
you know, well, his numbers have really improved. His offensive numbers are going up and he's hitting 281 in his last blah, blah, blah games. And it was basically all because Jackie Bradley apparently has discovered he has an astigmatism in his eyes or something. Um, and he believes that now that he's getting that corrected, he's, you know, turning things around. And it's just, it's such a ridiculous, like, the guy has sucked since 2013. It's been almost 10 years of Jackie Bradley. Like, so now we're going to believe that he's all of a sudden turning it around because he finally went to the eye doctor for the first time. I mean, come on. And then, of course, Jackie Bradley doing the most Jackie Bradley thing ever and responding to Alex Spears' Puff article by going 0 for 7. So nice, nice reporting there, Alex. Great, great job. Yeah. Now the eyes look a lot better now. So it's just, I'm so sick of this guy. And I know that he's probably going to be here the whole season because, because of his stupid contract and because Bloom loves him. There's nothing else you can do. He's probably going to take opportunities away from a guy like Jaron Duran, who we all agree is, you know, I think the more useful player at this point, but it is what it is. This is what the Red Sox decide to do. I'm just, you know, it, even though they swept the Tigers, I, I still got to find something to be upset about. So Jackie Bradley's presence was was enough for me to to make him a dud. Yeah, I, I mean, he's going to be big off the bench in late innings if they're going to be playing in the playoffs because Jaron Duran, I think, might have the worst UZR rating in the league. His roots to balls are just like we talked about earlier. It's It's not good. It's like watching, like, I don't know if you ever saw the clip of Vince Wilfork trying to field a punt. He didn't know where it was going. You know, he was trying to line up under it. It was, yeah, no, it, he's got, he, that is going to be Jack Bradley's meal ticket for the rest of the season. Cause I don't think they're going to mess with that. I think you're going to see, you know, 95% of games with Verdugo and left, Duran in center, uh, probably uh, Kike and right. I think we're going to have to experiment with some things. And yeah, I just, Jackie, I don't think we'll get too many opportunities outside being at home and facing righty. So I, I'm not too worried about overuse of Jackie going forward. Well, the Red Sox have been at home, uh, you know, for the past three series and uh, in the last seven days, Bradley uh, is only hitting 190 with uh, a 227 OBP. So not he's got I think he's still over 300 unless that finally came down after tonight at home but it it just didn't show on this home stand that you know those uh previous trends so I don't know if this is going to be the painful streak for a few weeks before he gets hot again and we relive this roller coaster i'm dead convinced that he's coming back next year they're not gonna they're not gonna get creative with his contract and then he might sign some one-year deals after that i don't know i just feel like it's never gonna end so i hopefully i'm wrong but we just don't have depth in, in the outfield so I, it's hard to it's hard to you know not have that in the back of your mind but, uh, Andrew, go ahead. You're uh, dud for the series. All right. I went outside the team. I didn't really think anyone else really qualified after they swept. So I went with uh, Doug Eddings, the umpire of last night's uh, quite interesting White Sox-Blue um, Jays game. 
it was an absolute disaster class. And I, you know, it actually benefited the Red Sox pretty well. Toronto ended up getting hosed out of that one, even though they're, you know, it was kind of a back and forth screwing by Doug all night. Uh, the If you pay attention to um, the umpire auditor, MLB umpire, whatever rating on Twitter. <laughs> so they ump scorecards, what is they, grade each game and they say who got the you know run you know plus minus runs who had favored and usually it's like you know plus 0.01 for one one team if it's a good game it was plus two runs for chicago they blew that many calls uh late in the game uh reese mcguire he got screwed up the call um it, it it was brutal uh let's see matt chapman with Two runners on first and second with two outs in the top of the tenth. It was a ball called a strike. He had a sixty-four percent called strike accuracy rating. I the sixty. That's just guessing. I don't know. Maybe he's got the astigmatism, um, and he can go see the Red Sox uh, team doctor that got Jackie hooked up. But I that was embarrassing. And today the Blue Jays, I think it was their hitting coach or the bench coach, got sent out with the. Uh, pregame lineup and you know they do the greetings and all that he just laid in got ejected pregame and he just <laughs> laid into Doug it, it was it was brutal I you know they're never gonna say anything about it they have a great um union the umpires do uh this was this has to disqualify him from any sort of postseason consideration because that was unbelievable <laughs> I'd be livid right now if that happened the red sox i mean 64 percent like 64 is a d in like school grades like it's almost d minus category like you're pretty close to an f at that point that's really bad um and yeah andrew's right like the mlb umpires the way their union works and everything it's so annoying because they don't get disciplined and if they do you don't hear about it like you don't hear umpire so-and-so was fined, whatever, because of this many missed calls or this umpire is going to get sent down to whatever. No, you don't hear it. And they often just don't, they go unpunished regardless. And all Manfred and everyone does say, well, it's the human elements, you know, humans make mistakes It's part of what makes the game. It's, it's getting so frustrating. And I myself am still kind of torn on whether or not I want the robotic strike zone or not, which you know, has been discussed by Manfred in the last couple of weeks, but you see stuff like that last night and you go, Oh, send in the drones, send in the robots. Cause like that, these guys just, they're, it's almost like they're getting worse. Like, it's almost like they know that the robotic strike zone is coming to take their job. And there's like, Oh, whatever. I'm just going to go out there and do whatever I want. You know, I'm going to just slug a couple of beers before each game. And if I get a couple of calls wrong, yeah, whatever, you know, it's so bad. Um, but Hey, like Andrew said, it, it worked out. Blue Jays lost. So in a way you could almost argue he was a stud for the Red Sox because he cost the Blue Jays the game. So thanks to that dog Eddings. But yeah, it's umpiring is getting worse around the league. And that's, that's definitely concerning. Yeah. I think Manfred did say though, that the uh, automated strike zone won't be out next year. Um, so it, it looks like it's going to be further out if it comes, it, it's probably a hard thing to perfect, you know, but um yeah there was an umpire last week who had a terrible rating i think and i think it was in a red sox game 
I forget which. Yeah, I, I forget who that was, but you're right. Yeah, there was – I think it was a Red Sox game where, yeah, his accuracy was down like under 80% or something. It was it was another bad one. Yeah, it's – I'm a big human element guy, so I kind of want to keep it, but I just wonder if some of these guys should be phased out, you know, as they get older. Maybe there should be an upper age limit or whatever. Um, but – yeah, I I found myself this year getting a little more annoyed than I I had in previous years, and I these balls move like never before, you know, and they're coming in at ninety eight, so it's it almost I mean Eddings missed a couple obvious ones, but the other ones around the league that you're like oh my god, like how do you accurately accurately call a Devin Williams like. Uh, you know, what he throws, uh, whatever pitching ninja calls it, you know, like those things are just impossible. I, I think if the ump has a little earpiece in his head and, you know, it just beeps or something for a strike or it makes a different noise for a ball, I think they, you know, you still get the human element with the plays at the plate and all that. I, I just think it's an aid that in today's, you know, how much money is in the game that just has to be incorporated. My dud for the series, not that he was terrible, but I'm going with Matt Strom. He gave up a um, a leadoff home run in the ninth inning to Jonathan Scope. And that brought the game, it, it was 5-3, and then it, it brought it to a 5-4 game. So a, a little uh, a little nervous there. And, um, that was the game. Hauk wasn't going to be available. So <sighs> Strom was cruising and Andrew, you were big on calling for him to close. I kind of agreed with it. I, I thought he was well suited for that role. And, uh, that kind of changed after the, uh, May 27th game against Baltimore, which he gave up. Uh, three earned runs on on five hits and prior to that last appearance in May he had only given up one hit um, in the entire rest of the month and had looked really good and I'm looking at it looks like at least four or five uh, multi-inning appearances where he he got more than three outs and you're just not seeing that as much anymore. He's he's only in for uh, two-thirds of an inning uh, some of the time. And actually twice in the month of June, he only lasted one-third of an inning. And he's giving up hits and just looking more and more vulnerable. Not the guy we saw in the in the uh, you know first couple months. And maybe the league's caught up to him and he needs to kind of reassess and, and start you know, attacking guys differently. But when I previously spoke that, you know, I, I was confident that some combination of guys in this bullpen would work. I was factoring in Strom to that. And right now you're, you're getting a lot out of Hulk. You're getting a lot out of Schreiber. Um, so I, I don't know. I just, I hope he gets it together. Yeah, I, Matt Strom, ultimately, I'm not too, too worried about. Um, I think it's important to remember that 
this is a guy that pitched six games last year and that was it. So, you know, he's, this is a workload he's not used to. He hasn't had this in a while. Um, you know, Alex Cora is going to use him a lot. Um, Strom in his career has not been, you know, a high leverage, often used reliever. He was, you know, for a while, he was more of a seventh inning guy um, who would pitch maybe every two or three days. Now with Alex Cora, he's pitching every other day, sometimes back to back. So it, maybe that's just something he has to get used to, the workload. He, he's not used to it. Um, you know, and, and that game, to, that home run he gave up, look, Scope's a good power hitter. He's going to run into one every now and then. He's been doing that for years. Um, it's just, it's a little bit scary because, like, if it weren't for that Christian Vasquez homer, all of a sudden you got a tied game there. Maybe you don't, you know, complete the sweep. So um, I still like Strom. I, I'm too, I'm not, you know, too, too concerned about him. But I hope Cora does realize that, hey, he's facing a whole new workload this year. So maybe we don't use him back-to-back days too much going forward. Yeah, I think, I feel like he's had a weird pitching schedule so far this year. It's like he gets used, you know, three times in five days, goes a week without throwing. And then it happens again. And I don't know, I think he has to go like every other day or just be have a set role. And I think that would help him out a lot. I still love the stuff. I think he's still really damn good. If Schreiber is your eighth inning guy, then I don't see a reason why Strom can't be your seventh. I think he can start having some um, set roles going forward with that. And I, I think he's, I, I think he's pretty damn good for that role. Maybe even overqualified for the seventh uh, as he gets more comfortable, but yeah, I don't know. I, I just know like when he comes in, he's not going to walk the leadoff guy and, I just, yeah, I feel pretty confident when uh, Strom takes the mound. I'm not, you know, like my butthole's not clenching like it's Deekman or Robles at this point. <laughs> yeah. Robles has been a, a huge disappointment. I'm not sure he even uh, pitched at all uh, in this series, but um, I, I hope Strom gets it together because we were so lefty heavy and, and now. You know, it doesn't, none of these guys are really looking like shutdown lefties anymore. So he looks like he's off balance. So hopefully he gets it together. All right. Uh, let's get into some pitching matchups. So I pull that up. Uh, tough series. Cleveland's always tough. I feel like Terry Francona probably calls a meeting, like a 30 second meeting before every Red Sox series and goes, guys, you know who we're playing, right? You know what they said about me. You know what they did to me. All right, let's try to embarrass them at least, you know, once during the series. Because it's always an uncomfortable series. And I have a feeling this one's going to be kind of low scoring. But let's uh, get into it. So game one, we have the trusty Nick Pavetta, who's toting his... 3.31 ERA into the series versus Cal Quantrill, who uh, came from the Padres, was connected to some Red Sox rumors, ends up in Cleveland, though. They they dance all the time. They always trade with each other, those two guys, those two teams. But anyway, Jason, how do you see game one going? I like the Red Sox for this one. I like the way Pavetta's been pitching lately. Um, Quantrill has struggled this year. His last start against the Dodgers was real bad. Five earned runs, took a bad loss in that one. 
His previous three starts before that, he was decent, but it was against Oakland, Texas, and Kansas City. So, you know, those are some pretty bad offenses. And then, you know, Houston beat him up a little bit earlier in the year too. So I just think this guy's pretty average. I think the Red Sox offense will get to him, uh, especially the way they've been going. They're, they're coming off a sweep. They should be, you know, riding a wave of momentum. So I, I like game one for the Sox. Yeah, one thing Cal Contral's not going to do is overpower you, power you with a fastball, and that seems to be the way to get some of the bottom of the order Red Sox guys out. So um, I feel pretty confident in that. Uh, he also doesn't get swings and misses. I think he's, uh, let's see, 8th percentile in that K percentage and 2nd in whiff percentage. So that, against a, you know, a pretty veteran-savvy team like the Red Sox, I think 1 through 6 should be able to – um, make the presence known against him because they should give you some really good at bats. In addition to those five runs he gave up to the Dodgers, he got slapped for 10 hits. So they were tattooing him and hopefully the Red Sox um, will do the same. I see no reason to pick against Nick Pavetta in this uh, matchup. Game two... Josh Winkowski, who keeps, they keep kind of giving him more opportunities. Hasn't looked uh, bad at all outside of maybe one inning in that first start, but he uh, draws the unlucky straw of going up against Shane Bieber, who's perhaps not having quite a Cy Young year, but he's got an even three uh, ERA and uh, up there in strikeouts. So, uh, Jason, go ahead. Winkowski versus Bieber. Yeah, I, I, I got to go with Cleveland on this one. Um, yeah, I just think Bieber's going to outduel Winkowski. I'm still not completely sold on Winkowski either, at least as a starter long term. I think that he's more of a stretch guy in the bullpen. I think that's more his future. So I think he tends to get exposed when he is asked to pitch, you know, anything more than four or five innings. Um, and with the way Cleveland's offense is going, it could be tough for him. Bieber's just been really good this year. Um, you know, and he's he just he racks up strikeouts and he can make guys look silly. Uh his last down against the Dodgers struck out nine of them. So he's he's on a really good pace right now. Um he's gonna be in the Cy Young conversation. I just I, I like Cleveland's pitching matchup better. If if it wasn't Winkowski, maybe I'd consider the Red Sox because just the way their starting pitching is going, you know, at the front end, I like it. But for a guy like that, I don't love him going up against Beaver. So I'll take the Guardians for game two. Have I been saying the Indians? I have been, haven't I? Or have uh, I, I been actually, saying Cleveland? I actually didn't notice. Maybe you did. <laughs> okay. but yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I didn't hit me till you said Guardians because that just isn't flowing out of my mouth right now. But anyway, Andrew, go ahead. What do you think of the matchup? So this is one of the times I'm not too worried about Bieber. Um, guys are barreling up his uh, pitches a little bit more than they have in the past. But on the you know flip side, I think this is where Winkowski could run into some problems. I mean, he's faced who Oakland and um, Detroit at this point. I and Baltimore. I I just I'm not. I'm not completely convinced that this is going to be the best lineup for him to face. I think Jose Ramirez could, uh, you know, run into a couple pitches here. 
the Red Sox are going to need to score early on Bieber just to set the tone. I think you ought to score a couple in the first because I think Wink will need it. I think Wikowski also knows he's pitching for a spot in the rotation because this is, might be his last guaranteed start. And that could be in the back of his head. I don't know. I don't think it's a good combination. I think Cleveland takes this one. I don't do this very often, but I've kind of talked myself into picking the Red Sox. Cleveland, their offense, it's not an overpowering offense. So I think Winkowski can kind of get away with the, the lack of punch outs, so to speak. In a 22-inning sample size, Shane Bieber has a 6.95 ERA against the Red Sox. They hit him pretty well, so I'm kind of just gonna I'm I'm going with an upset special here. Uh, w- would I be shocked if this is the start where Bieber punches out eight or nine Red Sox players? No, I absolutely would not. Um, there, there's a bit of a swagger to that Cleveland team. I think they got a better chance of uh, overtaking the Twins than the White Sox do. Uh, who I, I think Luis Robert is day to day again. So aggravating. He was my number one pick in fantasy first rounder. But uh, yeah. So anyway, I just. I, the Bieber could could finally rein us in, but I'm I'm just I'm vibing right now with uh, this Red Sox trend, and uh, I don't think it's a, a scary lineup for Winkowski. So put me down for the Red Sox. Uh, final game of the series, we have Rich Hill versus Aaron Savali. Go ahead, Jason. I'll take the Red Sox in this one, but this was a close one for me because Savali had a really rough start to the year, but he's been better his last couple of starts. Um, Seems like he's kind of slowly starting to figure things out. And Rich Hill is the, you know, quote unquote, just stay in it guy. You know, hopefully the Red Sox put up a three or four spot early on and Rich Hill can just keep you in it for the first four to five innings. You hand it over to the bullpen and hopefully you're all set. Um, but it's, it's been a little dicey with Hill lately. So I don't know. I, I I'll take the Red Sox in this one. Cause I do trust them to beat up on Savali. I don't think that his stuff is overly great. I don't think that he's the guy that, you know, is going to shut down Devers and, you know, story and, and JD. Um, but it's, it's a close one. This could be another like six to five, five to four kind of thing, but I'll take the Red Sox in it. Um, I'm actually going to say double ad score. I was thinking like 11, <laughs> nine. I think this one could get out of hand. I don't know what the Red Sox are going to do pitching wise with Hill. Obviously he's going to go, but they're going to have to throw Tanner Houck a couple innings sometime this weekend. And, you know, if it's not a safe situation, uh, uh, you know, Friday or whatever it was you know, Friday, and if they don't have a lead on Saturday, who knows? He might have to go a few. Things get a little out of whack. I do think the bats uh, carry them, though. I just I'm I'm not too sure what the blueprint to the pitching um, nine innings is going to be that day. I I feel weird doing this, but I'm 
I'm picking the Red Sox in game three. Uh, It's weird to think that they might sweep Cleveland, and I'm really going to look like an ass if we drop two out of three. But Rich Hill, his ERA on the road is uh, in the low twos. I think it's 224. Um, I don't really know where Cleveland ranks in terms of offense as a ballpark, but, I mean, they don't hit in their own park. So, um I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go with the Red Sox on uh, Game Three as well, and just kind of ride the momentum. Um, I, I did kind of concede that Game Two is an upset special anyway, so you know, take that for what it's worth. But I got the Red Sox winning Game Three. Uh, deep dives will be out tomorrow. I think that's going to be somewhat of a, a more minor league, um, centric episode. So, uh, we'll, we'll be talking, uh, some Jeter downs. Andrew, you had a couple more things you wanted to touch on. Yeah. I've got Brian Bayo just doing absurd Brian Bayo things, Killing especially it. against some yeah, Eloy Jimenez, he made him look like a you know minor leaguer. So you didn't know who's doing the rehab assignment that night. Yeah, and there's just a couple other things. You know, it's a pretty solid time for the Red Sox minor leagues. Somebody struck out Wander Franco too, didn't they? I thought, uh, would have been thought it was someone in Chris, our system. Well, I know. Chris Hill faced him the other day. Oh, that maybe that's who yeah. it was. Okay, all right, never mind. I I just knew it was in a rehab type situation, yeah. but okay, so it was Chris Sale. That's right. That was his only strikeout. He didn't look super great, but you know, it is what it is. He might get a rehab appearance with the Sea Dogs in Portland, which is kind of a bummer. I no longer live there, but uh, yeah, so. We'll be uh, getting into that in the next episode. So everyone uh, have a good Thursday. Take care.